Hey, welcome to the Stephanie Stevens Show, where I help you discover the power of communication and the keys that unlock the doors to freedom in every area of your life. Well, hi, friend. Today, you are in for a very special treat. It's the long-awaited interview with John Petruccio. I've been talking about this for a couple of weeks, and I wanted to bring him to you directly. I've talked much about some of his material. He is a success professional business etiquette coach. He takes businesses. He takes them to the next level. He takes leaders and cultivates them and trains them and teaches them how to actually lead in whatever arena they are responsible for. And so finally, I had a chance to sit down with him, and what you're going to hear next is our conversation. Now, we're going to do a three-part series. The first part is about professional etiquette and self-mastery. Also, you're going to find a really fun challenge that he's going to issue to us toward the middle and end of this podcast. I suggest, as I always do, that you and I link arms together and we take this challenge together. I know we can do it, especially heading into a new year. It is all good. Here is my interview with John Petruccio. Hey there, my dear sweet friend. Welcome to the Stephanie Stevens Show podcast. I am so happy and excited. I've been talking about this now for weeks. Today is the day. It's finally here. And it's the day that I get to chat with my friend, John Petruccio. And I get to introduce him to you. And we get to learn together. And it's going to be so much fun. So just first things first, I want to introduce John to you properly. John is an entrepreneur. He's a business consultant. He's a leadership trainer. He's got more than 30 years of experience. I know he doesn't look that old, but he's got 30 years of experience in business and production management. He absolutely loves what he does. That passion really comes through when he works with people. And I know this because he's done some work with me in my own business. And we'll talk about that as I continue to unpack for you my business venture and all the things that led to that. But John has committed a lifetime to personal mastery, and he also wants to share his wisdom and his knowledge with others. And so that's really why he's here today. His services include things like executive coaching for entrepreneurs who want to sharpen their skills and really learn how to be professional dealing in leadership and etiquette. He does those types of trainings for all levels uh, in an organization, leadership training for management and all levels leading to management. He also facilitates leadership programs, both with corporate and also nonprofit organizations to enhance executive team and individual efficiency. And that's some of the things that he and I talked about and worked with in my own business. Some of the things I've mentioned, in fact, many of the things that John and I have unpacked, I've brought to you and shared with you because they're just such good wise nuggets. He also provides a comprehensive leadership development program that fosters an environment for personal growth. And the whole point here is bold, ethical leaders who are encouraged to really step up with confidence, purpose, and passion. Because in my opinion, that's what comprises a really good sound leader. There's other things I think that comprise a good leader as well. And John, recently I talked about honesty on a podcast as my most valuable leadership quality. And so maybe we can get to that later today as well. But first things first, my friends listening to the podcast are leaders. We all want to be better leaders, so make us leaders ready, go. (laughs) I'm kidding. (laughs) I know it's not an overnight process. So first question, John, what is personal mastery? So as the word is, personal mastery is mastering the self in its simplest form, right? And and, uh, so mastering the self, uh, using my own story, if I may. Please. I didn't even realize what personal mastery was, I didn't even know personal development existed until I was in my late 40s. <laughs> didn't even know it existed. I just on my own path, doing my own thing. And um, so as we get to chat today, I'll share with your uh, audience what epiphany came over me that made me realize what personal mastery was and how important it is to engage like me. The commitment is to engage for the rest of my life. <laughs> That it's way more fun to engage now than to suffer the way I thought I was suffering years ago, you know? Yeah. Even as a successful entrepreneur um, up to that point, to have all the stuff that I had and the money and all that stuff, it wasn't making me happy. Hmm. So the personal mastery was realizing that, being aware, being awake Mm-hmm. to see that I was not being myself. Yeah. So that's kind of a long answer, I guess, to uh, that question, you know, personal mm-hmm. matter. 
You weren't being yourself, how? So the best way to describe that is today I am me, my own man. So it was around 50 years old back then that I realized that I was living in this state of, uh, how do I even say this? Uh, I was uh, in a conditioned, indoctrinated state. Society, mm -hmm. you know, you're a young man, you go out there and you're drinking and you're partying and all that stuff. That, that wasn't me. And I always felt that when I was uh, with my friends, always trying to fit into and never really doing a good job with it is when I realized something wasn't right. And that's what got me into all this is uh, I always felt outcast. And I realized now I don't want to be like them. I want to just be like me. And that's what yeah. it took personal mastery to snap me out of it. That's a pretty freeing moment. Extremely. I, I, I vividly remember it in 2005 when that light went on. Hmm. It's incredible. Yeah. If somebody is in a a bit of a personal crisis of that nature, what would be one of the first steps that they took to making the decision to be themselves? What is that going to mean for their lives, for their path, for their business? And how do they start to step into that? Yeah. Well, you definitely have to take, uh, take the first step and be willing to commit to what, what I believe, a lifetime of personal mastery, personal development. So I'll give you an example, what helped for me. But now, of course, I had a lot of people helping me. I paid, you know, for these seminars and coaches, right? So I really went into it uh, all in. But uh, what helped me tremendously is to do something every day that feeds my brain with good things, the things that I want. It could be read for an hour or whatever, right? Mm -hmm. And uh, I wasn't much of a reader. And, and my coach said to me, John, all I'm asking is five pages a day. <laughs> That's all he asked. And I, I would never read five pages a day. And I said, okay, I'll do that for you. And because I was paying him, you know, money. So he's, he's obviously asking for a reason. And that led to five chapters a day. And then several hundred books later, realizing that that was a major factor in changing my mindset got me critical thinking, you know. And uh, so every day do something like that. And every week do something a little bigger than that. Every month, something even bigger than that. Seminars, watching, you know, like I watch your podcast. Mm -hmm. That's to me feeding my brain with good things once or twice a week, whenever you put them out. Uh, then seminars. And then the yearly thing is uh, fly somewhere to a seminar where like-minded people are joining, you know, yep. whatever guru is out there offering it and you like them, go, I say, go there, right? If you don't have the means to do that, they're everywhere. They really are. Once you start looking for uh, personal development, personal mastery workshops and seminars, they're everywhere. So you just got to look looking for them. That's one yep. method right there. Okay. So for today, so for people who are in this process of expanding and growing and feeding their soul and their mind, and, and stepping into new practices, which I do believe is the vast majority of my audience. That's why they listen. Yeah. They want to be better communicators. Mm -hmm. They want to dive deeper into the genres that they're called in right now, uh, where they're sowing their time, and they want to be effective. And I believe that communication, good communication is the key that unlocks the door to every area of life. Yes. And it doesn't always have to be verbal. Sometimes it's nonverbal. Right. Sometimes it's artistic. It's some type of art form, you know, it's yeah. dance, it's, it's a beautiful painting, it's um, some type of expression, there's music, there's all sorts of things. Sometimes people's work, their livelihood is art and communication itself. I mean, I think about the company that I have that supports young adults with autism and related conditions and the people who work there, there are a handful, John, that are just, they, what they do is art. They have a <laughs> a way of dealing with and serving this population that is masterful and artful, in my opinion. So, yeah. but as we can become more efficient and powerful, um, then I believe that it unlocks more and more and more doors. And that's how we grow and expand. And so it takes a leader, in my opinion, to do that. Yes. And any kind of creative venture means you're stepping out as a leader. So I want to hear from the man who helps to cultivate leaders how my friends listening can really press in more. They've already got some of the leadership skills and communications tools, but now we're taking it to the next level. Yes. You know, we really want to dive in. We want to grow. We're committed to self-mastery. What are some of the things we need to know? 
some of the principles. So use the an analogy of climbing the stairway to success. I mean, and you mentioned we're at the next level, right? So oftentimes, I'll use my, myself as an example, I grew to a certain point and then I hit this riser. Yes. Can't get to the next level on my own. Same. So hanging out with like-minded people, going to seminars with like-minded people is going to help us see ourselves. Mm-hmm. So I wrote a couple little notes here to help your audience ask these powerful questions. And one of them is, how am I showing up? How do people see me and how do I want to be seen? Mm-hmm. And and those are very powerful questions to ask ourselves, to be really true to ourselves, to go look in the mirror and ask those questions. And a leader can only go as far as their knowledge, the knowledge they have in their head. And we all have it. I have it. We all have it. This is, we're going to just keep climbing that stairway to success, whatever that is to us. And we're going to hit walls. And we're going to learn how to get to that next level, get past that wall. That's new information, right? Mm-hmm. My emphasis is on is our being. How are we showing up? Am I kind? You mentioned honest, right? Am I transparent? Am I truthful? Am I... Uh, accountable. And these are really important aspects of being a leader. And uh, you bring up communication, right? It's like, if there's there's anything you want to build a successful business or enterprise on, it's going to be on rock solid communication skills. And you know that as as well as anyone, because you teach it real well. And communication is deep and it goes down deep down inside of us, how we treat people, how are they going to remember us by how we treated them? So yeah, there's those three questions. How am I showing up? How am I being seen? And how do I want to be seen? So the shocking thing for me back in 2005 is I had no clue of the nasty bad habits I had that were actually holding me back. It's the best way I can describe that. So... In saying that, uh, be prepared to see things you may not like to see and be okay with it. Do you know what I'm saying? I do. But how did you discover that you had all of these hidden, maybe blinders on, or you're blinded to your own behaviors? How did that smack you in the face? Yeah. So uh, by going to these seminars, uh, I went to several different companies, but uh, one of them, there's like 1,500 people in the room. And that's tough being uh, an introvert to be in with 1,500 people. It was good. I learned a lot. It was the, it cracked, cracked it open, you know, that onion to stop peeling away all those layers. But uh, the other company was smaller. Well, in the, in the first event I went to was 15 people. And then the second mm-hmm. event, it was maybe 20 people. So that's perfect for me, right? But that, those companies have a way with support for me, for all of us, to learn together, which is an important aspect, I thought, to do this in group form, group arrangement, because I didn't feel alone anymore. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I'll get into what the eight deadly poisons there that destroys leadership. We can get into that. But uh, I had no clue my behaviors were holding me back. And that company, those companies, actually, there's a bunch of them out there, they are masters at showing you me, my, I'm going to call them faults. The showing me why I'm having a hard time communicating or showing up in this world. Okay. So that's, I hope that answers the question there. It, uh, yeah. So in other words, they, they sort of took a proverbial mirror and held it yes. up to you and you. said, what you're experiencing is actually you. Yes. Does it look something like that? Okay. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> Behavioral quadrants, you know, and mm-hmm. uh, just, um, almost all human beings are in these quadrants. And um, I was so grateful I was not in the driver quadrant. <laughs> and I'll explain that later on if we get to it, but um, because they had the hardest time dealing with this, the transformation. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And uh, the drivers are controllers type people. And I was more analytical. That was my thing. And what I realized by understanding these four quadrants, analyst, controller, promoter, supporter in this test, 
uh, as being aware that they even exist. And I was so uh, analytical, off the charts, analytical, overthinking everything that that uh, the good thing is the world needs anal analytical people. Mm -hmm. The downside is I would overanalyze things where I lose. I, I was losing opportunities because I kept thinking, okay, is it good for me? Should I do it? Should I not? And while I was thinking all that, the opportunity would disappear. Mm -hmm. So that taught me right. to choose and move. So analysis paralysis. Yes, that was me. Yeah. yeah. And and it took that little test and to see other analysts, they put us in, uh, once we did the test, they put all the controllers in one part of the room. They segregated us all. So we well, got to see in real life the behavior of all those controllers and they could see us. So it was pretty profound. Uh, interesting. Yeah. Very, very profound. So this concept of leadership development is so interesting because it begs the question, and I think most people think this. I used to think, well, you know, a leader, somebody with a leadership title, they must have been born that way. You know, they just, here they come into the world, a leader, mm -hmm. and then everybody recognizes them as a leader and they just kind of, it's like the, the top dog in the pack. You know, how is that determined? Are they born with it? Is it behavior that they learn because they observed? So are leaders born or made? Yeah. Well, in my experience, an observation is we're made. So I think that some people, uh, how we're all brought up, you know, the, everything has, has an effect on our being as we grow up. Everything does. And if you're brought up in a, in a home where it's all leaders and they're all executives in these big businesses and, and they start you off that way, right, you know, right out of the crib, then perhaps uh, you'll have an easier time of being a leader. But I've seen people, witness people, who have been through all that and are the worst leaders I've ever seen in my life. <laughs> Out of the dozens and dozens of clients that I have, they might have come from a, a family of leaders, but their perception of it and how and, and basically is how they treated people. Mm. So oftentimes a business owner will be an absolute master at building the widgets that they make. And they make millions of dollars a year doing it. Mm -hmm. However, when it comes to taking care of their employees or the people that help their business function, uh, they fail miserably. And a good, a good example of that is uh, any company that has a very high employee turnover, especially in manufacturing, chances are there's a management issue there. It costs mm -hmm. a lot of money to keep people into your, in, in your business. Yeah. I'm not saying that that they're all guilty of high employee turnover. Some businesses, you know, what are you going to do? The wage level determines who you get, you know, sometimes. But mm -hmm. but I've seen and continue to see to this day really, really smart business people or people in charge in leadership positions um, destroying their organization because they don't know how to deal with people. Yeah. So it all has an effect of our leadership and professional etiquette is what I train teach mm -hmm. etiquette and you know uh it's one thing to go and read a book and go to seminars listen to your podcast right and receive all this really 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 good information to help build my character and be a better leader but more mm -hmm. importantly though than that is getting rid of the old stuff old behaviors this is this is where i uh what actually in, inspired me to start my business is I saw the difference it made in me, and I can clearly see the difference it would make in, in a, a business owner. So is the disconnect there because business owners tend to be, uh, well, it depends on the industry, I suppose, or the genre, uh, pretty creative people, pretty driven people, have a vision, know what I want, now go implement it. And so they don't care for the personal relationship side as much. Is that the disconnect? Is it because they have the final vision in their mind and they're not supporting their teams in order to implement? Yeah. I'm just trying to figure out what it is that puts the leader here and their employees here without a connection point in between. So I thought that's a loaded question right there. <laughs> And, and intriguing too. It's it's very very challenging to uh, to get the business owner to see that they need to be growing. They need to be expanding. And often what else? And and I was part of this by the way. So this is 
before 2005, I, I could see myself in that place where um, I'm going to use this uh, to be as humble as possible here, to be the know-it-all. What do they know in those books? What do they know? Attitude. <laughs> yeah. And that's the sickening part of seeing the old John was having that mentality is they collectively, those 200 books changed my entire outlook on life. It uh, improved my uh, communication skills, my leadership skills. Okay. So the answer to my question is, what do they know? Well, they know a heck of a lot more than I did. Yeah. So getting over that ego, I think, I'm going to call it ego for, for now because it's easy for us to recognize because we all have one, right? I realize that either my ego rules me or I rule it. And I believe that personal mastery is learning how to control my ego. Wowee. Ouch. Yeah. <laughs> I know. And I, it, it hurts me to Painful. say that sometimes. Um, and, and I have to be careful when I bring that up in my seminars. Yeah. Because people get upset with that. They don't understand to even hear that. So the biggest challenge I see with uh, business owners or, or leaders of organizations, the unwillingness to hire people that are smarter than they are. Well, first you have to be willing to admit that someone is smarter than you are. That's right. I would imagine that's a huge hurdle yeah. in the first place for a handful. Yeah. You're it's, not used to accountability. Yeah. Right? Nobody knows better than you. You're the boss. Yeah. Wow. So I was very fortunate to have a really good mentor, business owner. Um, I was his production manager. His name was Charlie, and uh, he was probably six years older than I. But really, really smart guy. He knew the industry. He was in the woodworking industry. And he's the one who got that in my head about hiring. So here I am, this production manager, this big commercial woodworking shop, right? And what I did is I was a, in the sawmill part of the shop. I didn't have the same skills as all those machine operators and the assemblers and all that, right? They loved what they did. I loved what I did. I really had to get over myself to realize that I am, if I'm going to be successful as a manager, for this Charlie, then I need to get over myself and hire people that are better than me. And that company was wildly successful. And you were too in that role. In that role, absolutely. And then when I went on my own business, I took I used the same mindset being a kitchen designer. Mm. So it's one thing to build a kitchen, you know, to go yep. mill the wood down and cut all the parts and put it together, which I was really, really good at, right? And, you know, someone would give me a design and say, John, build this for me. It's another thing to have a computer-aided kitchen design system, people that are certified kitchen designers come in uh, and build these kitchens and give prices and everything. So um, my kitchen cabinet business was extremely successful because not only I, but my business partner as well, knew we had to hire people smarter than us. Wow. Mm -hmm. Millions of dollars worth of cabinets a year we sold. And I didn't have to, I didn't design one of them so every year. Wow. It did all. <laughs> the first couple of years I did, first year. But after that, I realized in order for this company to grow, I had to let go of ego, whatever it was, and hire really, really good kitchen designers. Mm -hmm. Paid them really good money. I took second seat, the back seat to pay, knowing in a year or so, it would come back to me. So when, when I sold that business, uh, we had seven kitchen designers doing all the work and, uh, and we just supported them, you know? So that's the, you know, my story of uh, letting go of ego, um, having the wherewithal to hire people or bring people in that are better than me. That's the bottom line for me. Mm -hmm. So that brings up the word delegation. Right. Delegation. Yeah. Why is it so hard for leaders, business owners? I mean, mm. I'm going to call leaders to me. Listen, if you're a parent, you're a leader. You know, if you own a business, you're a leader. I don't consider um, everybody a leader because I think leadership encompasses the idea of leading other people specifically, specifically leading them in a direction from one point to another, from point A to a point Z. There's a final destination there somewhere. Not everybody is called to that. But certainly if you own a business, you're going to be looked at as a leader, whether you like it or not. There you are. And it appears to me, and I'm speaking from personal experience, that it is unbearably difficult for people who find themselves in that position, whether they ask for it or not, to delegate. Right. Why? Yeah. 
And how can we manage to start releasing things to allow the brilliance of others to shine? Yeah. And also save our own sanity. <laughs> so it's the other side of the coin of what we just talked about, right? <clears throat> so the uh, nobody can do what I can do, which is a lie. Mm -hmm. It's a big fat lie. Out of, what's it, eight or nine billion people on this planet. And I'm going to walk around thinking that nobody can do anything better than I. And I still use that uh, as an example when, I, when I'm in my trainings, you know. Uh, so that is, like I said, I was very fortunate to have Charlie as my mentor way back in the late 80s and reassuring me to hire these people. John, you're just the peacekeeper. You're just the organizer. That's all you want. You don't have to worry about the saws and all that stuff. Just get the right people to do the job. So mm -hmm. there's that, um, you know, when a business owner, you know, they own it. It's their baby. They've got their blood, sweat, and tears in it. And so there is a reluctance to trust other people with, his, with their business. Yep. And so with those who were willing to listen and hear what we're talking about, right, just to try and explain their business is stagnant because they need to delegate, they need to expand. And they, here they are telling me they want to grow, they want to expand, they want to double their 8 million to 16. But that's where they hit that riser, you know, they can't get to the next level. They have only, they have gone as far as they've gone with the knowledge that they had. And mm -hmm. this is where the delegation comes in. And uh, another factor, I wrote a note here because you, you bring up a good point. I found this to be very helpful to instill leadership skills in all of my employees, the leadership mm -hmm. mindset. I believe my business grew, it doubled for two years in a row from one to two and two to four million dollars in sale. And, it, and I believe that it was because I allowed my employees to lead themselves. So at first, my phone blew up with questions. And do you know how I answered them? I'm going to make a guess. Can I make a yeah. guess? Did you say, what would you do? Yeah. <laughs> What would Almost you do? every time they were right. And I would say, then do it. Yeah. And I could, I could like feel them shaking on the phone even, you know, like, oh my God. But after four or five months of that, they, I, the phone stopped ringing. Hmm. You know, I, uh, I didn't have to worry anymore. Of course, I always followed up once or twice a day. How's everything going? And so that's why the leadership mindset, they were their own leader. They were responsible hmm. for themselves. If they made a mistake... No problem. I didn't. Mm -hmm. I didn't rip into them or nothing. Uh, just say, okay, would you learn from it? And Good. I think they were better people for that. Yeah. When you think about cultivating leaders, then I would imagine also be important to instill the idea, or at least extend the invitation to have them look at themselves and yeah. some of the areas that they think or believe may prevent them from being the kind of leader they envision and eventually want to be. Right. Yes. And what you said earlier, John, was you got to the point where you didn't like things about yourself that you mm -hmm. determined were preventing you from going to the places you really wanted to go. Right. And that is personal responsibility. To me, yeah. that's personal responsibility. If you had to sum, sum it up in two words, that's it. Personal responsibility. And that is really uncomfortable. So not everybody's going to be willing to go there. Not everybody is ready to go there because it's so darn uncomfortable. Yes. So what do you do if you, they're not willing to go there and start examining those things about themselves that may be holding them back? Yeah, that's a, I think a challenge, a coach's challenge for sure. Um, and, I, and I have this conversation with my, my peers every time we meet, because we all, all of us have that same client or clients out there, right? Mm -hmm. So I'll tell you one thing that's happened many times, the scenario, go in, uh, later on, I, I think I'll, I'll be able to explain to you in detail uh, how I got hired. But I would sit down. I could tell they aren't going to hear it. They're, just, they're not ready. They've never heard it before. And I can relate because that was me at one time. But I know when I see this, that means uh, they don't want to hear it. However, almost every client that I got to sit in front of and my five-minute spiel, I was hired on the spot. Tell me how much I'll get started right away, right? Because what they say is they're the ones who are at fault for my business failing. 
they uh, need it. So they, uh -huh. that's how I got hired. Sadly, in some way, I got hired because they were blaming their staff. And yeah. I felt bad for that because, you know, only in a rare few instances when they saw the behavior of their staff rising above and all of a sudden they could see themselves being like left behind, they came in. Oh, curious. Isn't that, <laughs> it, it's, that was so mind blowing to see that. But that, that was the only way the, those people turned around wow. is when they started seeing all their employees. But I've seen companies fail though, the, the, uh, two that come to mind, one was my best friend, could not stop micromanaging. So when I was there, he stopped. I was with him for six months and his business grew. Mm -hmm. As soon as I left, house of cards. Wow. They couldn't, just couldn't let it go, that mindset. Okay. Yeah. And his business failed as a result. That business one failed. completely failed. Um, the other one is very similar, not a friend of mine, but I was with them for four years. Imagine that going in there every week for a while, then every month doing leadership training. So in four year period, the ten, group of 10 or 12 folks in this conference room that I, I met with, when on my last day, there was only one person from the original 12, the employee turnover. And quite often I would hear, quite often they would ask, so you kind of lean into the conference table and kind of whisper, what about the people on the other side of the wall, meaning the owner? Yep. I says, all that matters is that you step step into your leadership skills. And there's nothing, if they want to, they will. But four years mm -hmm. later, they don't. So that's wow. an awareness. So the, and the reason why I'm bringing that up for your audience to pay attention, right, is to ask themselves, is that me? Am I mm -hmm. showing up that way where I'm losing my top producers? Yeah. I remember Pretty the first time you and I had an interface about personal responsibility, and I remember that I was really venting about a situation in my company that was really, really bothersome to me. It felt okay. like a gut punch. And um, you were asking me some questions and I continued to do the, and this, yeah, but that, and this, yeah, but that, and this. And then you paused. I think you probably told me to take a deep breath because you, you would do that with me from time to time as okay. I would get energized in my uh, retelling of the stories, because they are stories, right? And so you had me take a breath, and then you said, okay, so Stephanie, who's responsible for that? And I said, well, first it's do-do-do-do-do-do, and then so-and-so is supposed to do this and never did that, and we were very clear that so-and-so, so-and-so, so and you let me go on for a second, and you said, yeah, but who's responsible? And I said, well, I mean, you know, ultimately, and then I I, I kind of narrowed it down <laughs> to two people yeah. that I was going to blame uh, and hold responsible. And then I think you said it the, a third and final time. And then it was, yeah, but Stephanie, ultimately, who's responsible? It's your business. And there was a pause. And then I really could feel myself get a little emotional. I could feel a little tear wanting to sting the corner of my eye because the reality was hitting. The reality of that requirement for me to take personal responsibility, right. even though it wasn't my job to do the things that were required here, even though that wasn't my job and I had hired and paid somebody else to do that or a handful of people and they had failed, ultimately it's my company. So ultimately, even though we, I don't even think we use the word fault, but responsibility, me. When I fell into that moment of yielding to that, because that's a that wants to create resistance, put up yeah. the wall. But once I actually absorbed the reality that it was okay to take responsibility, yes, that comes along with the territory of leadership, right? In my mind, in my opinion, if I'm going to be a good leader. I have to take responsibility for the entirety of this situation. Right. Maybe I delegated but failed to follow up. Maybe I didn't delegate enough. Maybe I didn't train deeply enough. Maybe I didn't support broadly enough. It doesn't matter why. But the point is I get to take responsibility. And instead of saying have to, I just reframed it as a get to. Mm -hmm. Because I get to then create change. But that moment of personal re responsibility, John, is so uncomfortable. And so when there's the invitation to step into personal responsibility and 
being responsible ultimately for the situation, not at fault, resistance comes. It comes Mm -hmm. knocking at the door. So what do we do in those moments of resistance? Because we have a couple of different options. Okay, you know what? Forget this. Bye. I'm I'm out. Or I'm going to just continue to blame. What do we do when we feel that? Right. It's it's natural. Good question. They're all great questions. And I I remember that conversation with you vividly, by the way. (laughs) And the reason why I say vividly is that um, I see it all the time. So in the the best coaching opportunities are when we're when someone uh, like a client is sharing their experience right now, it's real for them. They're feeling that experience. And this is an opportunity, of course, after a rapport is made, me with you or a, a new client, that they're comfortable with me just giving them feedback like that. So it isn't mm-hmm. just something you all go out there and start throwing dots, right? Mm-hmm. to keep asking the question. That's all I did, right? Was just ask the yeah. question. I wasn't accusing you of anything. So kind of, right. and that just kind of chips away at the ego just a little bit at a time. And after the sixth or seventh question, um, we get it. And maybe it's ego. I, I don't really know. I'm not a, an expert in ego, but I know it exists and I know what it looks like. And uh, this resistance. So the the lesson to learn in resistance is understanding that we we have it, that the ego creates this resistance and it's to keep us safe, safe from getting hurt emotionally, financially, whatever, whatever mm-hmm. kind of hurt is out there. That's mm-hmm. its job is the ego is to protect our being. I have learned that when I feel resistance to something, no matter what it is, I always ask myself, why am I resisting this? Why am I not answering? Why am I not stepping forward? And, and of course, being an analyst, analytical mindset, uh, it comes easy for me. But ultimately, what helps me choose and move is, is this what I want? Does this fit in what I want to do here? Is this going to help me grow? When it comes to personal, like uh, something I'm doing that's offensive, probably the hardest one, right? Mm. Because now we have to, we have to humble ourselves that my behavior has been pushing people away for a long time. And the resistance to that hurts more than all the other resistance. Mm. It's still there though. Yeah. There's a lot of layers there. That's why it's so challenging to answer it because it's, it's got tentacles all over the place, you know? And, yeah. So John, if I would have continued to placate blame and, and told you other people's names, and if I wasn't able to arrive at the me, I am, reality what would you have done with me what where would we have gone from there what's Um, possible for me as a leader from that point on yeah well fortunately for you you got it okay Mm -hmm. and so everything's fortunate to me because every word that we speak in that environment coaching or mediating or moderating whatever is an opportunity to grow for me because everybody's different right is uh i would come at it in another direction. Okay. I would bring up resistance in other areas of your life. Ah. Did we ever we, did we ever bring up the subject how we do something is how we do everything? No. So if we resist somewhere, we're always resisting everywhere. Really? I think so. Okay. So I'll give you an example. To me, resistance is resistance. Okay. It just is. If if you can resist traffic <laughs> by complaining about the traffic, right? So complaining is resisting. Then we complain about uh, real life stuff, about the kids, about the spouse, about my car, about mm-hmm. the, the weather. weather. Yeah, exactly. It's just resistance. That's all it is. It's just my brain finding a reason to complain about something. And yes. it is, I just think it's the ugliest thing. So to answer your question about um, if you had not responded then, is I would find other areas to bring resistance to that person. Okay. Why are you resisting? So a way to reveal that there truly is some level of resistance, maybe not in this area, but maybe over here. I mean, you would have to paint the picture of resistance by giving them examples from their own lives in various areas. Is that what you're saying? Okay. Well, yeah, it is. And uh, depending on where a person is in their personal development and in personal mastery, so somebody that's advanced and doing it and reading and doing the real life stuff, right? The yeah. real life 
personal development are going to see it a lot faster than the person who's never done it. If yes. they're way over here in the beginning stages, they're going to hate my guts. Because <laughs> I dared bring up something that is deeply personal. Yeah. And is going to make them, again, there's that word uncomfortable. Because we're not used to being uncomfortable. We don't like right. it. We imagine that discomfort means we, we should resist. Right. We should resist being uncomfortable. Yeah. Uh, so we've practiced. We've been programmed well, but, to do that. Exactly. I mean, there is that, you know, it is, a, even though it's a cliche, there's a lot of truth to it, right? Get comfortable being uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. And then all of a sudden it's not uncomfortable anymore. That's right. And you recover quicker. I believe. Over time. Yeah. yeah. And then there's, I, I, and I believe there's not even a recovery. Mm, just I like is, that better. It just is what it is. Okay. Well, I'm not there yet. I'm not there, but that sounds beautiful. Well, <laughs> close. I, I, I know you well enough, but you're, you're pretty close. Okay. It takes, it takes a lot of practice, Stephanie. It really does. And of course, we have to keep in mind that people are different. Everyone is different, right? Mm -hmm. Male, female, in of itself is different. Yes. Right? They're just hormones alone, right, are going to make a difference on how we react or respond to something, right? Personality styles. Personality styles. Patient styles. Yeah. Experience background. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Our environment that we're currently in is going to change all that. So. Mm hmm Good point. And that's what makes it so much fun for me and so enriching to work with all these people and to see how different it really is from all these different people from different parts of the country, men, women, young people, older people. Yeah. It's wonderful to watch. It really is. Mm -hmm. Watching growth and transformation is incredible. It's, it's yeah. beautiful in, when you get to watch it in real time in someone the way these next nine minutes is what gets me hired in almost all of my with my clients when i explain this part of our behavior so uh if you all write down the three c's the three r's i'm writing them down myself and the two s's so the three c's is complaining criticizing and condemning very very powerful uh, I didn't even know I was in uh, the complaining mode and the criticizing and condemning until my coach pointed it out and, I, and it devastated me. So my challenge is to abstain from complaining, criticizing, or condemning in any way, shape, or form over the next 90 days. 90 days or 90 minutes? 90 days. <laughs> 90 days, yeah. <laughs> no, I'm not going to let you get off on that. Okay. So uh, that's uh, just a challenge. And you'll see what I mean when we go into di deep dive into this next time. The other three R's is resistance we talked about. The really big one here is resentment and revenge. Three behaviors that will hold us back from having a happy life. And the two S's are the ones I, I, uh, I get the most resistance from. Mm-hmm. Is sarcasm and swear words right those destroy leaders all of them all, okay all. but those are really fun so a lot of people really have fun with sarcasm they do some people have fun with swearing too i'm not sure what kind of personality has fun with swearing although i do know leaders john some very very successful world-renowned leaders coaches personal development coaches who purposefully utilize swearing as a pattern disrupt like a neurological pattern interrupt or disruptor a kind of a shock value to shock somebody out of their present state is that acceptable <laughs> well um I'm going to stick to my guns and just uh, say uh, to stay away from it all. And because it's already in there, it's going to slip out. But I'll just go a real quick last second here, right, of uh, um, an acquaintance who was extremely sarcastic. Now, because I was at one time and I knew to stop. And it does slip out every once in a while. This man lost uh, several hundred thousand dollar a year sales position for this big monster company because during his interview it slipped out wow so and mm. i know the interviewer is a is a coach friend and he saw that i knew this person on linkedin 
and he called me up and asked me about him. Wow. So I'll let that be uh, go for our next conversation of, and how why it's so important to just at least have the awareness around all this stuff. Okay. So you're saying there's no place for sarcasm in humorously making a point, for example. Um, I'm not saying that. Okay. I'm saying have awareness that that sarcasm can destroy relationships if we're not careful. It, is that because what's underneath sarcasm? Is sarcasm a manifestation of some type of anger or resentment in I, a relationship? I, I believe it is. I believe it is. It's okay. um, um, uh, backhander kind of comments. Mm-hmm. And a lot of people, for me, it was uh, be funny. It wasn't being me. Yep. It was just a way. It was masking the real John, right? So I was trying to be funny, right? But at the at the expense of other people's feelings. Yeah, got it. And Stephanie, we do not know what a person's going through when we meet them for the first True. time. We don't know. They uh, could be really sensitive to death jokes yeah. or whatever category joke you want to stop, create. You don't know if those people have been through holy hell in their lifetime because of something Mm -hmm. good point so there's a lot of them i mean there's a lot of points and uh i don't tell anyone not to do it i just the 90 day challenge is just say abstain from three c's okay just notice the difference you know so are you issuing that challenge to us today i am okay (laughs) oh man i want to say challenge accepted and i want to jump in with both feet so excitedly but yeah I am a little hesitant. There's that resistance. Oh, are you going to be able to do this? No, that's sure. Okay. Of course I can well, do this. Let's that up. So um, it isn't about right or wrong, good or bad. And uh, you are going to be aware now of complaining, criticizing, condemning how it comes out. And how am I being seen? How do people okay. see me? How do I want to be seen? If you want to be seen as a chronic complainer, I say have at it, you know. <laughs> True. Good point. Okay, so good. So that is the invitation today. Yeah. It is 90 days sans the three C's, planning, criticizing, and condemning. Okay. All I'm asking is that you try. Yep. Making and the commitment is I will try. and I will try. And as I try, even if I fail here and there, it's yeah. building the awareness, John, right? Yeah. It's building that awareness. It's it's putting it in the forefront of our mind, uh, taking it out of the subconscious, bringing it into the conscious so that we can look through the lens in our daily interactions, yeah. look through the lens of being mindful of right. those three things, just putting them top of mind and stepping in that way. Right there. What you yeah. just described, that consciousness, subconscious because the three C's, is subconscious. We just do it automatically. Don't yes. even realize it. Now we are conscious of it, and then we be- have this habit. There are other ways of expressing ourselves without complaining, criticizing, or condemning. Mm-hmm. Very and, good. Uh, if I can get thirty more seconds here, right, to share something. Of course, something. you got it. When most of the time, when my clients, they'll come back to me often with a phone call. Two things that they'll share with me is. How many times people have said to them, there's something different about you, Stephanie. They aren't going to know what it is, but they're going to know something's different because you're not swearing, you're not being sarcastic anymore, and you get this inner peace glowing. What if they think I'm boring? I've never heard anyone say that they were being called bored because they weren't complaining or swearing. (laughs) Not once, not once, right? Right. No, I can't imagine. Quite often, within the week... Because uh, most of my cl- coaching calls are week to week. Mm-hmm. Within the week, three, four days into that challenge, they'll call me, some of them crying. John, mm-hmm. please help me. I'm trying so hard to not complain and criticize, but everybody else is. Yeah. That was my epiphany, is when I started practicing abstaining from the three C's, I saw how I was behaving all around me, all these people complaining and criticizing. The whole world is doing it. Mm -hmm. And I just became more peaceful. And I do believe that that is more attractive in so many, many ways. I know that when I was originally, when you and I were chatting about this and stepping into this invitation, I like to call it an invitation. Sometimes the word challenge brings resistance. So the invitation to step into a new mindfulness 
you know, mm-hmm. daily, uh, at least for a period of time. And then, of course, the hope is that it becomes a habit. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, I do believe that people noticed a different presence, not even necessarily able to pinpoint or put their finger on it. But I believe that it makes us more trustworthy, more authentic, and more transparent, more comfortable to be around. Because that sarcasm often does come up instead of in lieu of anger. And so it is a huge challenge to move outside of what we know to be true. You know, I'm going to whip off a zinger, good at the one-liners, zip, 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 zip. But that also prevents us from telling the truth sometimes and saying, hey, this thing right here, that's really hurtful. And here's how I'm experiencing it for real, right? Once you start doing that and people can see you in a new way and see you as a real vulnerable man or woman, you know, with your own vulnerabilities and hurts and wounds, that can really unleash a whole new level of trust for who you are, even as a leader, in my opinion. Really good to have, uh, to bring this up today, to segment, uh, to dovetail into next week. Yes. And if you have regular followers, they're going to, my intention is to set intention that they will work on their three C's, abstaining, and maybe even no more swearing. And just notice Mm -hmm. where that all comes from. Ask, why am I doing that? Why am I complaining about the weather? What am I swearing for? You know, why am I brutally making fun of my spouse in Mm -hmm. front of their friends? Yeah. Good point. So uh, it'll be really interesting uh, to see if you get any feedback. Yes. And I, know uh, I will. Go to the next level because I have real life stories to share with um, myself and with uh, about myself and my clients. Um, the destructive nature of sarcasm. Ooh, there's a great cliffhanger. Good. I can't wait to unpack some yeah, of that yeah. next time. Yeah. And um, that will be our episode two. Yeah. And John, I can't thank you enough. This is so brilliant, and I so appreciate your time. I know you're very busy. You are coaching. You are in demand. John's business is Success Paradigms. You can link your website as well. It is uh, successparadigminc.com. You just spell out success and paradigm, put inc in there, Mm inc.com. And that site is under construction. I've changed things a lot since uh, post-COVID. That was a huge awakening as well. So um, it's under construction, but you get to see what I'm about there. Okay, perfect. Awesome. Thank you so thank you. much. It's been my pleasure. Yeah, thank you. I can't wait until our next time together. And in the meantime, have a blessed and wonderful rest of your day. And we'll chat soon. Awesome. Take care now. So long. Thanks so much for listening to The Stephanie Stevens Show. Please remember to subscribe so we can stay connected and you never miss an episode of the podcast. Oh, and if you haven't left a rating yet, please be sure to do so. It helps incredible people like you find the podcast. We'll see you on the next episode.